I'm Lauren. I'm Tia. And I'm Sanyukta. And this is the Journey to Transformation. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, welcome. We are joined by the fantastic Sanyukta Morthy, who is a planning, monitoring, evaluation, and learning consultant from South India, based in Barcelona. She's the founder and director of the SMC Group, a boutique consultancy firm that's queer, feminist, and anti-racist. And we are so excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I've been a huge fan of the podcast for months. So I'm like thrilled to be here. It's going to be really great. Yay. Great. So why don't we start with, tell us about your journey. How did you get here? How did you get to the SMC group? Tell us everything. Everything. (laughs) Beginning at the very beginning. First, you were born. And then continue from there. My life began. It's a great journey. Um, No, so I have been in, in PMEL for about eight years. I started at Open Society Foundations. Of course, I decided, you know, one full time job as a grant maker simply isn't enough. Let me take on a second thing and do PMEL. So loved it. And then when I left, I set up the SMC group and I've been doing my own consulting for like four years. That's kind of the the professional journey and my life experience of being Indian, growing up in Europe, living and working in the UK is just kind of informed the, the vision of the company and just making sure that we are considerate of the communities that we're working with that we're working with equity and and considering power and the dynamics there and that we're looking at the real world and that it's all very human because I also got involved in nonprofit work through being an activist. So it's all very kind of let's change the world, but let's also not be too jargony about it. And then also, I think being Indian, you see how much people are normally paying for M&E consultancy. And it's not fair that that means that certain organizations get priced out of it. A lot of what I do is also to create free resources and templates and tools guides and things like that so if you're a small organization or an activist group like the ones I used to like lead and work with that you don't need to have a full-time M&E staff or you can still do work to measure your impact and discuss and share your work through case studies or do engage with data properly or whatever so it's just like plug and play use these templates type thing yeah so that's a lot of like my philosophy I think is more is more with that so it's m but it's m as it should be and more real world and kind of addressing everything that's wrong and messed up with the way we do our work <laughs> Lauren's tearing up over here. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, yes. The way MNE or monitoring and evaluation should be. That I mean that sounds like the dream. And do you sort of um I think I said at the beginning are focusing on feminist and, and anti racist principles, practices and approaches and we'd really like to kind of dive into that a bit with you. And in particular, I think conversations at the moment in certain monitoring and evaluation spaces are turning to where is racism being discussed and, and anti racism in evaluation and monitoring and you know maybe disclosure I threw in a question into a network or the peregrine group which is a monitoring and evaluation email thread blog I don't know really what you'd call it a lot of wild things happen when you engage with social media and <laughs> me you <laughs> well I just like to throw in something a bit disrupted every now and then um, why not yeah. stick a dynamite at it and see what happens yeah, let's, exactly. let's make people uncomfortable there's no point in just being like ooh can here's a job to your art no I like seeing stuff in peregrine and that's like I can see discussions exploding that's what it needs to be so I asked the group and it was based on a conversation that me and Tia had been having I think one of our episodes around attention good white people and we'd been having conversations about race and I was sort of like okay so where are these conversations in the evaluation sector you know where's the conversations about race and and then quite conveniently I looked at the um, European Evaluation Society conference and found that they didn't have any conversations about anti-racism or racism in their schedule Mm. so it was 
it's quite a, an easy sort of call out like so why is this not there throwing that into the space and to other people on peregrine and seeing what they thought and then you know it was a bit silent it was actually quite silent for about a couple of months yeah, really nobody for, for responded and then suddenly things started to to get traction and people started responding conversations went in a couple of directions so really keen to hear yeah both of your thoughts so there was one direction where people were like you know you can lament and you can call out people for racism and organizations but what do you actually mean like they wanted more how rather than the like you know just challenging it and and i think sometimes maybe as a sector we're very good at saying that's wrong that's wrong that's wrong but then maybe not saying okay and this is how we do something about it so that was like one area of, of people joining the discussion on on evaluation and racism and then another one was okay you know i hear what you're saying but we need to now start a white people's book club so we can understand what to do <laughs> in the seven hells no which is hilarious because we had an episode where we were joking around about white people book clubs so the fact that that came up yeah. is great oh man i do think that we are very good at diagnosing what's going on we're not as good at at solutioning or resolving the issue to be fair but yeah. that's part of it part of it is just calling stuff out so i i am very happy for you to have said what's going on without necessarily having a solution mm -hmm. but now Sonia, yeah, you're here to help us with this solution yes. I'm gonna, so i'm going to solve everything yeah. right, cool. please. no pressure right <laughs> you know well, you don't have to solve everything just racism yeah. and monitoring and evaluation that's all just solve that. okay those two and, and and privilege while we're at it right yeah you, yes, you know while problem. while we're here just whacking a bit of privilege Privilege. We could probably cover some power stuff as well, if you like. It's yeah, so you guys take care of power and I'll do the rest of it. Right, exactly. cool. <laughs> For me, when someone points out an issue, so saying there's no conversations about power, privilege, race, feminism, solution is make those conversations. How is it? That's not rocket science. I can tell you that's the, therefore the solution. First, there's a few steps to me towards addressing the issues that you were pointing out, Lauren. So mm. if you're having a conversation or like a conference of a society of evaluators and you want to discuss emergent topics as you should be, then you need to be also planning that better, thinking about it. So it involves awareness of what the problem even is. And I think quite honestly, there's a lot of people in our sector, not just evaluators, but as we all know, people who work in NGOs, people who work in foundations, especially who have zero idea or awareness of what lives outside their blinkered view of the world. Mm. So there's that. Then after that, the it's it can be the response can be very tokenistic to say, all right, cool, there's no women, let's just grab a bunch of women, but they're all privileged, elitists, speak multiple languages, have multiple degrees, whatever. And so they're also all one-dimensional in that sense. So you're not you're not being careful about making sure that there's actual like diversity. And I think there's still a very old-fashioned, antiquated 90s style idea of what diversity looks like. And I think for people to see what is the solution or therefore what is the solution, it's to be careful about how do we want to put together these conferences or do ME work going forward? Do we want to innovate? So it's not just having conversations about race. Sometimes these conferences are super expensive. It's having mm. also a tiered pricing structure so that everybody can attend. It's making the recordings available, having like closed caption subtitles for different languages, different hearing abilities, different languages, also simultaneous translation. It's like, it's all of those things. So I think people think that solutions and inverted commas is like just 
throw a bunch of colors and genders at the panels and then you have a diverse conference and i think we need to actively do a lot better than that and that involves people reaching out and saying hey i would like to discuss in eeas's new conference new topics and evaluation help what would you like to see and also saying uh, we don't know how to do it so we're looking at people to help us plan this you know i mean that's great because then people like me would reach out and say do this do this do this don't do that don't do that How much of this is like a a bit of willful ignorance because like yeah. you know this is a conversation I had with Lauren where people were like well we don't know what to do let's just get people together and like figure out what to do and I was like no this is like classic problematizing let's talk about solutioning instead of solutioning whereas everything that you're describing maybe I along with you just am a genius <laughs> and but like what you're describing and is that's what I'm wondering not- I'm like am I just so far <laughs> behind am I like the most progressive person ever it can't be because everyone that looks like me and looks like us is like duh put in the work open a book read linkedin anything mm. the mm. world is full of people saying these are all the things that's messed up i agree with you tay i think there is a lot of willful ignorance and so you need to do the work and just give a shit and open your eyes and it's not it's not acceptable if you are running an ngo for you to bury your head in the sand and not be aware that these are the ways in which society is evolving and you need to keep up there's a lot of i'm trying to also be like you know accommodate and tolerant of people not knowing but there's a limit to how far ignorance is. <laughs> yeah. there are limits to your tolerance like completely there's, exactly there's there's limits like i'll be i'll be generous up to a point if you still don't know that there are not two genders i don't know what to do with you like, yeah <laughs> yeah i mean that's a good point the role of of you and your consultancy and us as as any consultants who are trying to be and and push others on this anti-racist journey like how you help people with that how you go into organizations and say you know there isn't two genders there's actually more and then hope that they do something about it or take it on or like embed it in their organization i mean that's always just like quite hard from our perspective i find as well i think that the important bit for me is that people are taking active steps and not just that the first step is to like be in an endless learning loop mm. that doesn't translate into any kind of activity like i'm very open for people to say oh okay i'm not entirely sure how to do this in a way that's thoughtful but i'm going to take a step forward as opposed to let's just all like the white people's book club just still like honestly i don't know what to do with that <laughs> <laughs> i'm hoping it was tongue in cheek but i don't think it was and this is just coming together and let's talk about it and think about it as opposed to exactly as you said i said the same thing to lauren go to the people who are organizing this thing and say okay here's what we want you to do here's a couple of things that you can do to change it yeah. you know there's just like these like very obvious things that i feel like people can do but for some reason just they want to just sit around and stew in indecision and uncertainty. I mean it's exactly as you said it's almost like they want to have a framework or something that's comfortable to then <laughs> depart from, you know. <laughs> let's talk about yeah. how we can do this. Let's put a framework together. Let's put it, you know, a how-to guide and then I feel comfortable and confident to move forward with it. Is that endemic to like the your both of your fields? Is that like part of it? Do you feel like any people so. like inherently need to have <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think we need to also be be mindful of the fact that we know stuff now and that we didn't before which is actually that's I'm paraphrasing this amazing Malcolm X quote that I'm going to read out in its entirety right now don't be in a hurry to condemn because he doesn't do what you do or think as you think or as fast 
there was a time when you didn't know what you know today and i keep that in my head a lot because our sector is full of egomaniacs including me who think that we know the right way to do things and then it's like duh follow me i know everything i'm super progressive you know you you're doing everything wrong and i'm going to fix it but i think there's a level of humility that you need to have especially depending on the kind of organization that you're working with because i i mean i work with international clients so there are places in the world and there are types of organizations where you're very much restricted by your structure your organization organization's reality there are limits to what you can do and how progressive you can be because your donor might be traditional and very square so you can't go so far and to say we're implementing a feminist male framework because that's just you know it's not within your control to do that there are also places where you need to also be open minded and say okay there's not everybody is going to be racing ahead and wanting to do all of these progressive things change looks different in different contexts you need to do that but if you are a global philanthropy with headquarters in new york there is no excuse for you to not be aware of these issues and be actively trying to solve it because you are the power holders this quote when you know better you do better so just try and make small changes and try and slowly get better so i have different standards depending on the structure of organization what they're able to do and the kind of intention so that's also the distinction i make is intention versus action if you care about trying to do something but you're limited by your uh, realities that's fine but if you have zero idea and you have the ability to know more like if you have access to the internet there's no excuse and as i say if you're headquartered in new york or dc i i zero excuses for anything so <laughs> i'm like that that's that's kind of my uh, my criteria for for judgment yeah <laughs> i think that's fair i feel like people pay us as consultants to be egomaniacs so i'm a little bit yeah. worried about letting too much of that go for me and also <laughs> you know i just really like judging people it's fun <laughs> it's nice to sit on like your higher horse and be like that's awful yeah. it just feels really good and i know it's not supposed to but it just feels really mm-hmm. good particularly for for organizations it just feels <clears throat> really nice for them to pay us to go in yeah. and judge them it feels like a kind of turning of the tables that i'm really i just exactly i, I don't want to let like, go of that this is justice <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but then this is where i feel that there's an absence of judgment on the bigger institutions Ooh, that sorry, Im- Lauren, your yes. sound is cut out. Can you hear us? Yeah. Okay, can you well, hear me? Well, you're now, you're now weird, Lauren. Oh, Sorry, no. your audio, I mean, not you. I mean, you probably are. <laughs> well, yeah, She's no. always been weird. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to keep that bit. <laughs> <laughs> the judgment thing, though, I feel is really absent from the bigger institutions. And it reminds me of an episode that we did with Perna Sen on the UN, where she was like, who's monitoring these gatekeepers or who's like monitoring people like the UN? You know, and it's the same for the European Evaluation Society or the World Bank or open society foundations yeah or the red cross who created the humanitarian principles yeah. these big organizations and institutions that really influence how we do evaluation like you know the evaluation criteria so you know these really big institutions yeah. that influence how we do evaluation or how we do our humanitarian and development work and yet no one's placing judgment or understanding their influence on all of this yeah. no and we're yeah. all judging it we're just not doing it in a systematic <laughs> way fair, fair. <laughs> so i i'm a big comic book nerd and there's an, an amazing graphic novel called The Watchmen and one of the lines from that is who watches the watchmen mm-hmm. and i think that applies to this it's like the gatekeepers are there for a reason because they're the ones that started this like you know at the Bretton Woods conference that's where all of these institutions kind of began and they've been the power holders for decades mm. so who watches the watchmen where are we in our like hierarchy to 
call it out when we see it and to to challenge it and that takes a lot of power ourselves and also guts and most of us just want to get on with our work and our lives and not be like worrying about taking down the OECD which is fine there's a lot of work that they need to do themselves in terms of self-awareness and undoing their own practices but there's very little incentive to do that because if you have power all humans why are you going to give it up? And I get that, but there's also, there's a reason that we need to restore that balance. And so they do need to be opening up their minds and being more equitable in their practices and not tokenistic. And I think it's not too much to expect that at 2022. Like I was saying, in the 90s, you can do tokenistic hiring, but we're way past that. And it also takes the smaller organizations, the feminist grassroots groups, the youth groups to start growing in expertise in capacity and resources, funding, so that they're the ones that there's like a groundswell movement, whatever you want to call it, of other people and other niche practices that that grow. So the two things need to be happening at the same time. So, you know, we need to start practicing more feminist mel or doing participatory research. And the fact that those are still niche topics is insane. Statistics and numbers and quantitative data is still seen as legit. And if you look at the way that some books still write about qualitative data, they talk about it so patronizingly. They're like, oh, it's all thoughts and feelings and flowers and rainbows. No, the world doesn't look that way anymore. And we have to change that. And so we all have the ability to start doing things and making small changes and doing better and to have a little bit of patience while the OECD, I don't know why I decided to pick on them today, but like <laughs> yeah, while, they, while they run to catch up, you know, um, take and it down. involves like hiring practices. It involves consultants like me and Lauren with our judgment going there and pitching ourselves to them because I have worked with the large NGOs and done this and it takes work. So you also have to have the kind of grace and patience to understand that asking people to change the way that they've always been doing things is difficult and asking an organization or a company to shift takes time and you need to be kind and respectful and graceful with that and not be like an egomaniac and expect everyone to instantly yeah okay cool I'm going to change everything thank you I'm so grateful to you I was so terrible before now I see the light type thing that's that's way too much to expect. Like we all know like actual sustainable change takes time. Behavioral change takes 10, 15 years. So slowly, slowly. But it's it's frustrating to watch the like snail progress sometimes. It's just some of these thoughts that I go around and around in my head when I, <laughs> yeah. I, I want I want everything to change, but I also know that it can't because that's literally what we do at M E, right, Lauren? Like yeah. you can't expect you can't do an impact evaluation two months after a project ends. You need to wait at least six months to a year to actually see the full impacts of the outcomes before you can start doing or that you know, some some semblance of the impacts of the outcomes before you can start doing interviews with like the communities so yeah it's the same thing with like life sadly yeah yeah and, and i think there there is something to, to to being patient but it's it's hard you know it kind of comes back to the tolerance and the resilience you have to to see that change move so slowly it's it's quite yeah. hard when when you are where you are or you have a deeper understanding and people a bit behind you are starting white book <laughs> you sort of like yeah you know it goes back to what you said that the malcolm x quote you know you have to have an appreciation for yes people have to start somewhere you know i read some yeah. of those books white supremacy in me and so forth so you know appreciate that but then you know you're also kind of like 
come on now, come and join me. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know, there's a... Yeah. Especially in 2022, I feel like the time frame is really important to think about, right? Like the context of where we are and our social consciousness, I feel like they're just little things that organizations can be doing, uppercase B behaviors and lowercase B behaviors that organizations can do. And it's those, I think that's where I center most of my frustration and annoyance is that those lowercase B behaviors just don't, I mean, Maybe, maybe it's a perspective issue. Maybe they're not little to them. <laughs> they're, li- they're little to me. And I think that's where I, I, my judgment comes in to its, its strongest is when I perceive a small shift as quite small and someone else sees it as quite big. Like a sea change. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's completely spot on to you. I think that change for some people looks super progressive and it's actually a very small thing to us. Again, it's, it's just making it a little bit of space to say, what can you do in terms of change? You know, can you offer more than one language in your webinar or can you do these small things? What What is for you, what would progress look like and what can I hold you accountable to? And I think there's also, you know, you don't need to expect organizations to do it all themselves, but this is why you hire external consultants like us to do this. You don't need to have the expertise if you don't know it, but if you are an organization, if you're a global philanthropy in New York and you know that you that this is something that needs to be engaged with, then go and find consultants that do feminist mel or go and do it. And then you don't need to find it yourself, but there's no excuse for you to not do that. But I think it's also remembering that at least for our generation, we're not that brilliant or perfect anyway. Like we are the generation that watched and devoured friends that like allowed Katy Perry to sing a song like I Kissed a Girl, you know, that yeah. used words like, oh, that's so gay, you know. So let's all just be mindful of that. Like we're not that perfect either. We're also on our own growth pathway. And that just because we're here now, don't forget that that's what you used to be like not so long ago. Yeah. Just give people some time. Yeah, that's so true. I, I hate to admit that I still love friends. <laughs> yeah, there's a I fair mean, few episodes though, that, didn't, that didn't age very well, though. Yeah, I know. I mean, I I'd know. say like 99% of it aged terribly, but like yeah. the one with the football is still a classic. Let's then bring this back a little bit to evaluation. You know, we're talking about people's different perceptions on progress. In evaluation, I mean, how do you approach this in an anti-racist way? Like I'm thinking about different components of evaluation, maybe in how you design it, maybe in how you analyze it, maybe in how you set it up how you work with your client what does anti-racism look like across those components it's all of that some of it is like when you're structuring a methodology one of the things that i love to engage with is language because i think that's such a huge part of the way in which we see the world so calling them people not stakeholders beneficiaries end users whatever because that dehumanizes them that devalues them and that also opening up language allows you to examine the role of power within your own evaluation evaluation. Let's take an example. Like I've done as part of a team, an impact assessment two, three years after a project finishes and the client will come to you and say, okay, we want an impact assessment and here's a bunch of our documents. This is all the proposal stuff, all our donor reports, whatever, you know, enjoy. My first thing is to always say, okay, whom can I speak to as well to understand if I'm doing an impact evaluation? I need to talk to your communities, your partners, the ones who've implemented your work, your staff as well, because the ones that you're interacting with as a consultant, 
will be the managers or the directors or the people who can sign your contract. But if you want to really understand how an organization is really doing its programmatic work, you need to be talking to the people who are not the decision makers, like the program officers or the associates who are the ones interacting with your implementing partners, with your communities who are kind of, you know, doing the day-to-day work. So it's also, it's, it's the practices in that sense. But when I structure the methodology, I insist on having a lot more conversations myself where the client is not involved. And so I can make my own judgment because otherwise I'm doing like secondary data analysis, which is no good because then you're on the risk of you telling the client what they want to hear based on their documents. So that's that's not relevant. And then considering, you know, things like if I'm working in regions where English is not the predominant language to ensure that I'm hiring translators, research associates that come from that context that can inform the way the methodology is designed as well. So I'm not the only one doing it with all of my privileges and all of my language backgrounds. And also, I think overall taking a tailored and bespoke approach to all of this. I don't have like a one framework or whatever. I just look at what do you want to see out of this and what are the creative ways in which we can get there that can also work for you as in you as in the client. Because I'm, I don't know, chronic skeptic. I'm always like, okay, when we say we're taking a feminist approach, what does that mean? Because that's something that sits at the top of everything that we're trying to do is feminist anti-racist approaches. But sometimes I sit back and I think, but what does that mean? What does it look like? And I kind of have come to the feeling that it's just it's simpler than I think it is. And it's, and I'm making it more complicated in my mind. It's just going back to don't be a dick. Like, right. (laughs) It's that, it's that exactly. But but people like, you know, Bond just put out their guide becoming locally led as an anti-racist practice, which is a guide for INGOs effectively. I don't even need to open it to know what it's going to say. It's going to say stuff around like, you know, making sure. Like don't be a dick. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm I'm paraphrasing. Don't be a dick. No, but really, that's it. That's it. I don't know. Are we just making it much more complicated? Because everything that you're describing to me, they're all things that we do. You're just trying to help organizations to stop being dicks, really. <laughs> I like that. That should be like my new tagline. <laughs> um, stop being dicks. Sign up stop here. being dicks. Yeah, yeah that's think- it. <laughs> Contact me to learn how. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. A great campaign. I, I, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, T. I think it is a lot more simple than it needs to be. Like feminist Mel, I do this a lot. And having, for some people, implementing a feminist Mel framework can be as simple as having gender disaggregated data. It can be also when you're doing work with communities, planning it in such a way that the groups with power that is working men or husbands are not involved in focus groups with women because they will speak more. It can be as like one or one level as that. And I think that's really all it takes because once you start seeing the inequalities and the power dynamics, you naturally know what will work in your context to to do that thing better. And so Feminist Mel can also be designing better evaluations that are mindful of like language and cultural barriers. And that goes back to this anti-racist thing, Lauren, is if you're working in a context that is, the country is poorer than your country. And if you are a richer Western industrialized country and an organization that has power, being anti-racist in that context means you stepping back and acknowledging your privileges and roles and how that manifests in power dynamics and looking at 
what are you doing to continue the existing system how are you being disruptive and what steps are you taking to ensure that your community is genuinely empowered not hashtag empowered you know like <laughs> that it's not this lip service tokenistic nonsense that doesn't fly anymore but yeah. it's like how am i ensuring that i am building your long term sustainable capacities anti racism can even be you know an organization that's based in the uk that's funding an organ a group in india saying i will give you unrestricted funds to do your work you would be ama- i mean maybe not amazed but i'm not amazed anymore because i'm cynical too how few unrestricted funds that are going from rich western white countries to anywhere that they have exploited for like hundreds of years it's absurd whereas what you need is that restorative justice you need to be a champion for the groups that your country or your people have exploited anti racism also for me i bring it in with layers of privilege so it's not just it's also class based so if you're like a rich founder in in india it is your job to support groups that your group have exploited or that you benefit from i have caste privilege in india i am brahmin so it is my responsibility to ensure that young dalit girls and women who look like me and could be me just the system is against them that i'm actively dismantling it that's what it takes it's you you should be aware of how messed up the world is and you should try and solve it especially if you have power over a group so all of these things are related in inclusion participation decolonization and being an anti racist being queer friendly all of that stuff is just be kind mm-hmm. understand that you need to undo centuries of oppressive history and exploitative natural resource management you know like we're ruining the planet it's also that i just took like 6 minutes to say what what you said which is <laughs> don't be a dick like you said your about, eyes and undo it it's much more eloquent um and maybe the more positive end mine is don't be a dick yours was be kind <laughs> um, <laughs> i think what's being described I feel like what people want are tools to do these things, yeah. right? Like tell me the mechanism to be intersectional. Like tell me that like what is the thing I do? Again, going back, I need a framework. I need mm. this thing. But yeah. what I hear you saying and what resonates for me is actually it can be so many different things that the starting point is awareness and something we talk about a lot, which is attunement. I think that's the missing piece for me because how can you be attuned to power if as we were talking about a bit before you're benefiting from having that power mm-hmm. how can you it doesn't seem a very natural thing to look around see oppressive systems as somebody who may benefit from those systems and then seek to dismantle it i feel like that's a really hard thing for the majority of people to do So how do we fix that? <laughs> how do we just solve it? That's that's it it's really hard and it's a lot to expect someone to give up their power. I mean I'm sitting here I have one college degree I have I live in Western Europe in Spain I speak English as my native language. If you tell me yeah you're an activist why are you living in a in a nice apartment in a nice city why don't you just like go live in a shack somewhere? I mean I could. I'm not gonna because I like my comforts. Yeah. So, and it's also a lot to I mean, we're all in the politically engaged sphere. You know, we all like either study this in college or we're in jobs that are doing this. It's it's even like understanding that there are many other industries besides our own. I think everyone in our sector suffers from a lot of superiority complex. We think that just because we're doing work that's value driven that we're better than someone who works as 
an investment banker without realizing that we've had the privilege to choose this profession. There are some people that will love being an investment banker and like let them. I mean, I guess it's that thing again, it's just be kind and it's it's be patient also and wait for people to recognize that the system is screwing us all up equally and that sometimes you're not aware of the ways in which the patriarchy has screwed up men's mental health and then you will be like a toxic masculine man online without realizing all the layers of damage that the system and the patriarchy has done to you as a troll online and recognizing that takes time and also so i think that the solution is basically try and keep your eyes open if you are aware of an issue that your peer group isn't maybe have a conversation with them if you can if you can't that's fine move on you can't fix everything and you're not better than everybody else so just relax and focus on your sphere of control and that's it and and again it's kind of coming back to yeah be kind and keep your eyes open (laughs) the two things i'm taking away and it's and it sounds like so simple but in reality it's exactly what's needed and I just wonder if there's a bit of a journey here in terms of how you get to that more accessible conclusion and that you have to grapple with the complexity of what anti-racism and intersexual intersexual I can't even speak intersexuality intersexuality what am I saying sexy <laughs> anti-racism decolonization that like you have to grapple with first of all what do they mean and then really try and get into it to then come out the out of the side and say actually conclusively this is much more simple i'm wondering if you yeah. just have to go on that journey first to then come out the other side mm. or if you can already look at these complex things that you're trying to throw into monitoring and evaluation and your work and say actually these are m- more simple but for me my personal journey I've had to go into the complexity before I'm able to step outside of it in a weird way and I and I wonder if that's the same with things like the theory of change and evaluation where everyone went into this you know thinking it's very complicated we need to have like arrows things everywhere causal claims whatever to then come out and be like oh it could just be a sentence <laughs> like mm. yeah you know I'm thinking about I wonder if going through the like theoretical conceptual abstract practical process for people is just too complicated and it needs to be much much simpler if I want to be anti-racist what does that look like if I want to be and I feel like at the center of it is just a a kind of like eyes open to power Mm. because it's also you know in some contexts being anti-racist is be intersectional it's be aware that there's other other genders in your context because you could be like you know like a civil rights organization in a poor country that's doing work to champion a certain race, but then you're not being aware of class dynamics or you're not being aware that you're only giving power to people our age and you're dismissing the voices of the youth in your society. It's also there's a very localized approach. And again, when you look at that definition of what is localized development, when you get down to brass tacks, it's like, oh, that's it. It's just doing things that are locally relevant and not doing a one size fits all US, UK approach to everything. Well, duh. Shouldn't we always be doing that? Yeah. <laughs> so it's 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 really that. Like, and anti-racism to me is also actively challenging it. For me, that's the most important thing. So I'm an intersectional feminist. I'm queer and I'm running an anti-racist organization because that's my lived experience. I mean, I have a lot of patience for microaggression because to me, the intention behind microaggression is it's not terrible. It's not shitty. It's sometimes it's ignorant. So I'm like, okay, if you just haven't been aware that you can't use that word about my people, that's fine. I'm going to have some patience with you and I'm going to tell you, hey, you know, the P word is the same thing for my people as the N word is 
for black people. So you can't use that. Oh shit, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. And it's kind of just figuring out that for certain people that their, their context means that just being supportive and doing something to to question systems to try and do whatever makes sense in their context to be to be better the biggest thing to be anti-racist to be a feminist group to be just doing participation inclusive things is to just figure out what can that look like for you and where where can you give up some of your own ground and your own power and where can you innovate as well because sometimes it can be participatory research can even be not using so many statistics to measure wash behavior change because habits about hygiene and sanitation are also very culturally dependent so it could be being participatory in your project could be opening it up to say I'm going to add a qualitative indicator back and to understand who are the different players who influence my own outcomes and so i'm opening up my my theory of change to say that there are other groups of people who i will need to work with in order to make this change happen and that's sustainable so we're adding fancy words and nice looking buzzwords to things that are very simple in principle it's be aware give up your own power if you can if you want to if you'd like to make change think about the long term think about the environment think about other people i want to be as generous as you and maybe one day i will be <laughs> the thing is i don't feel generous i feel like i'm a very very judgmental person and you ask anyone in my personal life and in my professional life they'll probably agree with you and i think that's what propels us because yeah. we're very passion driven we see a world that's broken a system that doesn't work that's inequitable and we're like i'm going to help fix that so i think that that works that judgment is important to also keep in check perhaps it's maybe maybe instead of judgment maybe what's a what's a nice sexy spin we could put on it critical critical thinking critical friend critical thinking i like <laughs> yeah. i'm not judgmental i'm a critical thinker i'm not exactly. like your critical exactly. friend yeah. that's kind be kind to your critical friend there you go yeah <laughs> i won't be kind to you but <laughs> One thing I'd like to just move to and talk to you now is about your consultancy work. It'd be great just to hear some insights into what you've learned on your journey to to starting that. I started my consultancy business in 2018. Um basically I left OSF and I realized that I loved PMEL. I found it fascinating because I think this concept of somehow distilling this complex, beautiful, very diverse world into data in all of its forms and knowledge and systematizing it and trying to structure social change into a theory of change I think it's fascinating and I think it's really interesting and being able to help an organization to get to that stage where they have comfort and familiarity and excitement for data and research is a great is a great thing. So I just wanted to do to do that and to be the kind of supporter or thought partner or whatever you want to call it for groups that want to engage in in PMEL and do it well and do it respectfully, inclusively but just don't know how to get started. So I just said let me let me start a company that does just that and that focuses on air quotes niche stuff. And so what I've learned along the way is just focus on who you're working for and keep, you know, your eye on the prize. It can help you to kind of figure out who you want to work for and with and who you're championing. So I wanted to see that the groups that I cared about and the causes that I cared about were were just really excited to be to be working with with PMEL and it wasn't seen as a burden and it's not seen as a compliance thing that you have to do because your donors 
need a report. It actually can help you to engage with storytelling methodology in a really cool way and to to write case studies and to share your pride at your communities and to see this is how much that they've been able to do because of us and our work and because of them and the hard work they've put in into their own growth, you know? There's a lot of business skills and a lot of like personal development stuff that you have to learn when you are running your own consultancy and you're a woman, that has been a lot of unlearning and relearning for me. I'm on a coaching program right now for young women in the social impact space to just learn about how you can better be who you want to be and design the kind of life for yourself that you want professionally. So that helped me also cut a lot of the clutter. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I would say to people who wanted to engage with m and consultancies. First of all, ensure that you have the technical skills to do it because you can't start unless you have have like at least four or five years of experience and then find like your niche or the thing that really excites you. So if you want to work with climate change, Mel, that's your thing because Mel is a generalist kind of thing. But if you can focus on something, then that makes you like a specialist generalist. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, so then that'll help you figure out who you're going to work with and also the values that you care about. Again, what I was saying earlier, just open your eyes and read and learn and be kind and keep your eyes open and constantly innovate. So I am trying to set aside and I do, I'm very lucky in touch with, to be able to set aside funds to put myself on like training courses and learning and buy books and listen to fantastic podcasts and stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then also just keep reaching out because our sector, because we're all value driven, we're all very kind to each other. Like I've posted stuff on LinkedIn asking people for like resources or I'm looking for this can you help and there are so many people willing and able to help so if you want advice if you want to find a place to start just ask and take it from there what's really resonated there is also you're speaking about values and the kind of clients that you uncover and discover and you know through this podcast we talk a lot about finding the right clients to work with and then understanding more your values and how they echo in the people that you choose to work with so I think that you know is is a really important point. One of the tensions that I have is we do this work because we are values driven we don't want to be doing stuff that we don't want to be doing I think there just becomes a bit of fatigue though I'm not sure if that's resonating with anyone else but it just becomes a little bit of fatigue when you're just pushing so hard at a certain point you just start to feel that maybe they're beyond hope in in that narrow window of time that you have with them and I think that's that that's kind of the tension that I find one of the things to keep in mind is that I have the immense privilege of being able to choose the kind of work that I want to do and the kind of clients that I want to work with and to sit here and say I'm an anti-racist organization brilliant there's you know scores of people that don't have that privilege of choice that will need to suffer through difficult clients, difficult projects, or feel frustrated that they're not able to make an impact. And unfortunately, that is a lot of the first few projects that you will wind up having to do to build a reputation. You know, I was thinking about what do I wish I'd known when I started out? And I had also uh, the privilege of having a few mentors with me who were doing m consultancy. One of them who's an icon, Sarah Vaka, and she's um, a good friend of mine and a great mentor and everything. And she was also telling me that, you know, there's things that you will be surprised by. There's things that you learn about yourself. Just keep an open mind really is the biggest thing as a business owner, because you're not only an m person, you're also running your own business. You're responsible for this stuff. And just because you're in nonprofit work as a value doesn't mean you don't need to make a profitable business and engage in sales strategies and marketing strategies. And running a social impact business or a social business doesn't have to be cutthroat. Business can be all of its various things. And that will involve dealing with tough clients that don't 
meet your standards that don't understand your value and you just say all right well the purpose of this work is for me to get paid so i can make rent next you know i have to check myself a lot when i work with these complex projects or complicated clients but i'm like okay i can't i can't expect everybody to fulfill me and you know make me intellectually curious and broaden my horizons and be these perfect shiny glittery rainbows that can give me testimonials sometimes you just slog for 20 days for something that is not going to move the needle and is not going to change the world and that's fine because you have the privilege of continuing to have a roof over your head and food on the table and that's it sometimes i'm like oh this one's just a dud and then i just yeah, don't yeah 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 but then i like, have uh, then i yeah. have that that tension of like you know we were working on one project and it was just the scope of the project was so interesting it just became like pared back so much that it was mm. that it was indistinguishable from the ambition that was there before and what i found myself doing is saying well i mean you're paying us the original contract amount to to do about an eighth of the work that's not fun for us but I guess maybe that means that we can do projects that we really really are into and there may be a smaller budget available for those ones so we can use yeah. this kind of like dud is a totally. great way of describing it and but use exactly, this one exactly like the dud scale <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i really like yeah. the idea of a dud being a kind of stepping stone into something better and, and i think that's a really positive yeah. spin on it um <laughs> i think I we mean, have to have a positive spin because we've had do, a few right? of them yeah. <laughs> yeah. so i have like a, a tiered pricing scale for all of my work and I mentioned it on the website that I'm like I subsidize my work with a smaller less resourced organizations. I work 20 days with a big NGO and that allows me to charge a lower rate to an organization that inspires me, that does fantastic work that I can feel like I'm, you know, because we're all egomaniacs that I can feel like I'm part of a change or whatever. Therefore charge them a rate that they can afford and then I can be part of their journey. And just also to say like you learn all of this stuff as well. You learn as you do dud projects what kind of what you are able to do and what you have the resources to engage with and then document everything i have a book that's going to eventually turn into my actual book behind emeni lines which is like on doing emeni business work and running a consultancy and like emeni skills more broadly or whatever and it's just going to have all of these things in there that it's use every opportunity even if it disappoints you to try and say okay how can i maybe learn from this and either choose my clients better or check myself and say exactly like you were saying i'm i'm being i'm doing an eighth of the work it's frustrating because i want to engage in the entire project but i can't but great they're still paying me brilliant does that mean i can save okay cool so then maybe next month i choose like a passion project instead i really know? like this this um delineation dud projects passion projects yeah <laughs> there's, there's a real we got all of these skills now <laughs> yeah yeah uh, i knew you two were going to start putting a framework <laughs> together <laughs> no, we're building a spectrum you just can't, I'm already you can't visualizing help it. the infographic you know? yeah. yeah you can't help it <laughs> amazing no, no, we, we always work on these like frameworks it's like no let's let's put it on a on a sliding scale yeah. passion project um, <laughs> but i mean we're joking about it but i am actually literally building like a rubric for how i make decisions about contracts and clients like and what you were saying to you is is part of that is like can i learn from it is it going to inspire me will i grow from it and that's like one of those would like to have the essential is can pay me yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Bare> minimum <laughs> exactly i say that i also do pro bono work so that's not necessarily always the yes or no point but i think knowing knowing those and figuring out at the beginning what you must have and what you have the privilege to choose to have i like it yeah that sounds very helpful can't wait to 
to really implement the framework. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. implement it. <laughs> well, you've got two two people who who are going to pre-order your your book. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. signed copies for all of you. Yay! Yes. Can't wait. Your amazing resource hub behind Emily Lines, which has got tools, resources, loads of stuff. Yeah, so my website is the smc.group. You can also follow me on Instagram on Sanyukta Murthy and the SMC group has its own page. I've started on Instagram, but the hope there is to more profile groups that inspire me, so that's not really for any for any work. It's just oh my god, look at these amazing climate activists, look at these indigenous rights groups or, or something like that. So, but those would be the best places, the website and LinkedIn and you can also email me. I'll email will be in the show notes yeah. indeed we'll add it all in the show notes <laughs> well amazing thank you so much for this conversation I just feel like we've covered so much that's wrong and right with the sector and added a great spectrum and rubric over the top but so, we solved the problem we did solve the problem we did I think we we solved feminism yeah yes. that's fantastic yeah. you're welcome mm. everyone <laughs> yay <laughs> I'm Lauren I'm Tia and I'm Sanyukta and this has been the journey to transformation. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Journey to Transformation. Leave us a five-star rating and a written review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Journey to Transformation is written and edited by us, Tia Rogers and Lauren Burrows. Our music comes from Praz Canal.